saw that poster, I was like, I want to see that. <laughs> Something's wrong with that guy's balls. And then me and Amanda have just been obsessed with the fact that they made an evil dead porn, and that just <laughs> amuses us. It's called Evil Head. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, there's just this morbid curiosity. It's like, I have to see how this plays out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's the the tree rape scene just... It's just Again, the, instead of cutting away. You just see it, yeah. But uh, I guess we should probably get to Buffy now. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll knock out this sweet and tasty intro. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. If you've been following us this long, you know by now that my name is Michael Byers, and chatting with me always is my hetero life mate, Nick Richards. Did you like that sweet uh, Jane Sound Bob reference? I loved it. All it right. made me smile. Good. Um, on this episode of the show, we're going to be trying something a little different in that we're effectively scratching two items, two, off of our shame lists. Today, in our Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, we are going to be talking about not only the movie, but the television show. Buffy is a television icon at this point and has a passionate fan base unlike many others I've seen before. But first, we'll be discussing the origins of Buffy, for better or worse. I think better, but I, you know, I'm in a minority there. Uh, by discussing the 1992 film by the same name, written by everyone's hero, Joss Whedon, and directed by Fran Rubel Kazai. The film tells the story of a shallow, vain cheerleader named Buffy that has no interests outside of shopping, cheering, and cute boys. That is, until she finds out that she's actually the most recent in a long line of vampire slayers. As Buffy learns the ways of slaying, the petty interests she once felt were important no longer hold her interests. The film stars Christy Swanson, Donald Sutherland, Luke Perry, Rutger Hauer, and Paul Rubens, plus cameos from future big-time actors like Ben Affleck and Hilary Swank. I just met this girl named Buffy. I'm Pike. Pike isn't a name, it's a fish. I liked her, even though she seemed kind of flaky. But, as it turns out... You have been chosen, Buffy. To do what? To stop the vampires. Does Elvis talk to you? And things started getting weird around here. Are we having a nightmare? You threw a knife at my head. And you caught it. She was the one person I could really count on. Kill him a lot. Hi. Hi. What are you doing here? What am I doing here? I'm saving your butt. That is a bad guy. Can we go, please? The Slayer is unmasked. Let's finish it. I think this relationship has potential. Hi. How's it going? You're obviously having a bad hair day. If she can just get rid of those other guys in her life. Stab him in the heart! Christy Swanson. I am so sure. Donald Sutherland. Ah! Ah! Paul Rubens. Ah! With Rutger Hauer and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls. Ah! Yes, I am. Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. You didn't even break a nail. Directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie. Normally what we do on this show is we would just talk about everything to do with the movie and then I'd do another intro for the television show, but I might as well introduce the television show right now because I feel like there's going to be a lot of crossover. Complaints, Nick? 
None whatsoever. All right, and then after that, we'll be discussing the extremely popular television version of Buffy created by Joss Whedon. The show has the same basic premise, but acts as a sequel to Whedon's original script. In this version, Buffy, now played by Sarah Michelle Gellar, moves to a new town after being kicked out of her old school for burning down the gym. Buffy wants nothing more than to have a normal life, but she's quickly brought back into slaying life when she meets a watcher by the name of Giles that is trying to remind her of her destiny. Welcome to sunny California. Who could imagine that beneath this perfect little community lies the mouth to hell and our only hope of survival to each generation a slayer is born is in high school turn up the music buffy you are the slayer i think i speak for everyone here when i say huh chosen to fight i'm buffy and your history trained to maim you're the slayer and we're like the slayerettes dressed to kill there's something bad out there we'll find you'll slay we'll party She's Buffy. And no demon. Don't worry, I don't bite. No vampire. No creature from hell. What is your childhood trauma? Can stop it. Buffy! Clark Kent has a job. I just want to go on a date. Buffy, the vampire slayer. Fight evil. Bring Buffy home. If the apocalypse comes, beat me. So... Is this is your first? Is this your first time watching the movie or the TV show? I don't remember. Yes. All right, both. <laughs> I I saw the TV show a little while ago. I had watched it after we had started the podcast, so after it was officially on the list. Um, but the film I saw for the first time yesterday, after a oh wait a minute, was I supposed to watch it? Uh, that, you didn't need me to watch it, did you? Uh, I guess you don't have to. <laughs> Your Chinese DVD or Blu-ray of the movie. It was in English, and my PlayStation did play it. So awesome! We're in business after what five episodes of teasing yeah. this one. I feel like we actually might have teased it in episode one, but then it was five episodes to say next episode is going to be Buffy. Uh, I actually had a thought since this was supposed to be episode six. I had, I had a thought of just titling episode six about Buffy and then talking about not, something that's not Buffy. <laughs> nice. That was the plan, but I thought we'd piss off the, our very small uh, viewership. For for the rest of this podcast life, episode 27, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Episode 103, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And maybe one day we can get a weird... Uh, like. My goal for this show is now, episode 100, whenever that happens, that we have a big, mega-stacked episode where we can get Christy Swanson and Butch Patrick together on the same <laughs> podcast. Are you out of your mind? Can we do it? Butch Patrick. Actually, he I feel like he might be doable. He, he's, I'm sure he's a cool guy. Um, all right. So, podcast listening friends, start a petition. Online petition, get Butch Patrick on the Shameless Picture Show podcast. It would be pretty dope. I'm not like I'm actually considering just sending him an email. Like in 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 about ninety episodes, we want you to be on our show. That's specific. Yeah, in 89, 89 episodes from now, <laughs> we want you as a guest. You've got plenty of time to figure that out because we only we only <laughs> That's put like it up. three and a half years from now. I know. 
but what do you say, Butch Patrick? You want to pencil us in? Is that a is that a firm maybe? All right. Um so I since we I introduced both already and this is your first time seeing uh both and well I've seen a couple I've seen I want to say half of the first season of Buffy. I, I haven't watched it all. Uh, I guess let's let's do this in chronological and then if there's spillover, you know. So be it. Yeah. So you will deal with our inconsistencies. <laughs> I personally love the Buffy movie, but what did you think? Um I I didn't dislike it. Ah. That's a nice way of saying you didn't like it. No, it with like with all things, uh, you know, I think by now I've established that I'm kind of a it, unless it really like a movie really has to rub me the wrong way for me to be like, yeah, that movie sucked. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'm going to keep that in the edit. Please do. <laughs> um, I had seen the show first or, you know, the, the pilot of the show first. So in going backwards like that, I, I have a feeling it was kind of like your reaction to the Phantom Tollbooth where I think it took me most of the movie to kind of adjust to what it was that I was actually watching. That's fair. Uh, it's because the tone is so different than it is in the show. Is it really though? The The story is the same. I, I'd argue that the tone is pretty similar as well. Like there, there are moments in the movie that almost felt kind of Mel Brooksy to me. This kind of, like like Paul Rubens vampires death. I'll get you, Buffy, and your little dog too. I guess nobody sees in you. You don't really think you can stand up to him, do you? Admit it, Buffy. Aren't there times when you just feel less than fresh? You're pathetic. You're not even fit to die for him. We're immortal, Buffy. You can do anything. Oh, yeah? Clap. You're gonna wish you died. see that in the tv show because the tv show takes itself more well and again i'm basing it on the pilot um the i i could never believe that that would happen in the show because it's certainly light for a vampire um you know story the movie gets slapsticky in a way that the show doesn't seem to be and that's fair and um i guess um, I guess for me, the tone of like, say, our lead characters of Buffy and Pike, who's not in the TV show, it feels very much the same to me. And I honestly feel since uh, the 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 uh, the filmmaker that directed Buffy, it's her, her name is Fran Rubel Kazai. I don't know if I'm saying that 
correctly. <laughs> but um, I believe she's a foreign film. I think she might be Japanese. I am. Don't quote me on that. I can't find a lot of information about her. But I feel like the the almost slapsticky um, vibe came from the fact that she's adapting um Whedon's script and I feel like if Whedon would have directed this movie it would have had the same tone as the TV show sure yeah because there's a lot of spillover there's a lot of spillover tone like I'll I'll admit there are things that like some of the uh, that some of the 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 vampires do in the movie that I feel out of place in the Buffy verse um (laughs) but as far as like cat like uh the character of Buffy it feels like it, it it really does feel like an extension and and um, I, it also could be because I saw the movie first. I prefer Christy Swanson as that character. Does the word duh mean anything to you? She felt, and maybe this changes as as Buffy goes on. It very well could, because I only saw like a handful of episodes. But um, Sarah Michelle Gellar feels so stiff in all of her episodes. There's, not not all of her episodes, but the ones I've watched. I just sure. Um, another issue that I. Issue is a strong word, but um, something that tripped me up as I was watching the movie was, you know, you have the first act that is so thick with the valley girl airhead. We only care about, you know, our simple high school lives and the dialogue is so over the top. Yeah. And all it took was one fighting montage that seemed to be completely on like she's like no i don't want to go with you creepy donald sutherland let me get this straight okay you want me to go to the graveyard with you because i'm the chosen one and there are vampires yes does elvis talk to you no oh wait a minute you know my dream all right i'm gonna jump right into a fighting montage and all of a sudden now i'm not the valley girl that i was like a minute and a half ago but i didn't Honestly, doesn't that happen that. a lot though in some of these eighties movies? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, honestly, it it feels yes, it feels like there was an act missing from from the movie. Um, <laughs> Even a scene, or you know, or an extension of a scene would have done it for me. Yeah, I feel like there's something removed there. I've been tracking down the script for this for this movie for a while, and I've not had a lot of luck. But like, what? And it's it's fun. One thing I really liked about this movie is something that kind of makes me roll my eyes now, which is kind of <laughs> funny. So I love that it's it's a satirical look at '80s teenage culture, until you realize it was made in the '90s. <laughs> right. Because like when I first saw the movie, it's like, oh, this is brilliant. It's making fun of of, of the '80s culture, and and it's like, what is it though? And I was like, oh, this this great '80s movie. And my because t- we watched this in school for some reason, English class. Uh- an excellent yeah that's we're talking perfect. about the we're talking about the hero's journey so it kind of worked and the teacher liked the movie sure but it was like oh this this 80s comedy she's like it was made in the 90s and I'm like okay okay <laughs> granted we don't know when when whedon wrote it so maybe it was satirical yeah. at the time yeah <laughs> um ah we're, we're so all over the place that uh yeah. it's kind of hard for me to rein myself in i will say though while you didn't dislike the movie, uh, Joss Whedon hates <laughs> this movie, uh, and actually so do a lot of the hardcore fans of the TV show. I wonder if that's not part of the reason why I had such a hard time 
getting it. I couldn't find it on any platforms. I couldn't find it online. Like I said in an earlier episode, you know, I happily would have paid to rent it. Um, and then even the DVD Blu-ray was hard to find in traditional markets. So that, that's why I ended up having it. I didn't realize it when I ordered it, but shipped from a place in China. I'm wondering how <laughs> actually available that film was. No, and it's it's weird. Like, I bought the movie from, like, a $5 bin um, way back. I guess not way back when. You know, I, maybe five years ago or so. But, um, no, I, I've been reading a lot of different things about how Joss Whedon hates the movie. <laughs> and, like, his big thing is he hates the tone, which I see where you're coming from, from, like, almost the Mel Brooksian slapstick stuff. But then I, I'm still holding true to my idea that, like, some of the tone is the same. The character, like, the goofiness no, I, of the characters is still there. I laugh in the face of danger. Then I hide until it goes away. I uh, agree. And I think you're right. It very well could come down to, you know, the writing is, you know, clearly the writer is the same. But how that's interpreted by the different directors could be that just, you know... It, not that big of a change, but subtle things make a big difference. And I also, you know, to defend my reaction, I genuinely think that when I go back and watch that again, knowing what to expect, I will enjoy it much more. And I did enjoy it. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed it very much, but it took a while for me to realize, oh, it's going to be this type of movie. And you, you have expectations going into these type of classic films especially seeing the bit from the tv show first you know i i had to reset my expectations no exactly and um to go back on just whedon a little bit i get like one of his biggest problems with uh the film is that it was not faithful to his script and while i like a lot of what joss whedon's done whenever i read interviews with him i start to dislike him <laughs> because he comes off like a real whiny filmmaker <laughs> like that holds his own work way too high yeah like i don't know that's just the impression that i get maybe he's not that way and if josh whedon's listening i'm not attacking you personally i just <laughs> quit being a dick to josh whedon man you kind of he's got like an he's got like a, a a personality that i just not digging with because whenever he talks about anything that he's done previously he's always really mean and hateful towards it and it's never his fault yeah and to an extent, like as a filmmaker, when when a when something you've made fails, there's it's always your fault to an extent. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say. Now, me on the other hand, I hate everything that I've done, but I know that it's my fault. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the last thing I'm gonna say for now about like Joss Whedon's problems with the film because I want to knock all those out right away. <laughs> he said that he uh, Whedon once wrote uh, that he felt. Uh, he wanted to make a oh, no the script he wrote sorry was a scary film and that he didn't like the director made it into a broad comedy and that the TV show is close to his vision but I don't know a single person that's ever considered Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show to be scary sure and then he also hated Donald Donald Sutherland I couldn't bring myself to say I was making a film called Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> Which shame on you for hating hated him as a person or his performance or the interpretation. Yeah, uh, or, or just flat out well, hates Donald Sutherland personally. Said, with the AV Club, he said, um, um, 
uh, the question was, was it a personality conflict between you and Sutherland, or was he just not what you envisioned in the role? And Whedon says, no, 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 he was just a prick. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, and it continues to say, the thing is, people always make fun of Rutger Hauer uh, in this movie, even though he was big and silly and looked kind of goofy in the film. But I give him credit because he was there. He was into it, whereas Donald was just... He could rewrite all of his dialogue, and the director would light him. And uh, and he said he can't write. He's not a writer, so the dialogue would not make sense. And he had a very very bad attitude. Um, now I want to know, in hindsight, um, that amazing mustache twirl that he does yeah. in the locker room scene. Yes. Was, was that Joss Whedon? Was that the director? Was that Donald Sutherland? I don't know. That mustache twirl. Uh, he also says that Donald Sutherland was incredibly rude to the director. He was rude to everyone around him, and he was just a real pain. And then this is the line that makes me laugh. And to see him destroying my stuff. <laughs> destroying is a strong word. He, he came into my room and kicked my toys. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite part. But the thing is, he acts well enough that you didn't notice with his little rewrites and his little ideas about his what his character should do that he was actually destroying the movie more than Rutger was. So I got out of there. I had to run away. So I like how he <laughs> essentially insulted to of the actors at the same time <laughs> oh and then wow. uh, he said paul rubens uh he was a god that walks among us <laughs> nice new wave peewee <laughs> yes uh. <laughs> uh. i love that they come back to his death scene like mid-credits too <laughs> heard him a lot as goofy as his character was he's one of the best parts about that movie <laughs> he's he's great um and and those that aren't super familiar with paul rubens may not even recognize him because there's not a like there is a certain subtlety to his character he doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue it's more no. of you know get and hurt him a lot yeah that kind of stuff but uh, with his flock of seagulls hair. <laughs> I loved his haircut. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny watching this movie and just seeing how cliched 80s it is considering it's the 90s. Like, I love Luke Perry in this movie. I, yeah. I, I, I love the character of Pike and all of his lame 80s cliches. <laughs> uh, and I, I especially love it at the end where he's trying to make himself look good for the prom and he just shaves that one tiny piece of hair. <laughs> Even though he has shaving cream all over his entire face. Yeah. This big buildup. Again, another fantastic montage. And then just very purposefully drags it right down the soul patch. Whoop. And then has this look of, yep, that's it. <laughs> Whenever I see that scene, I just think, uh, and this is going to be a really uh, uh, a deep cut reference. I just think of uh, Jackie Chan in the movie The Tuxedo. And he goes, my soul patch? Because <laughs> they make him cut his soul patch in that movie, and he looks really heartfeltly like, but, but, but. Ups, upset. And yes, I just made a reference to Jackie Chan's The Tuxedo. <laughs> Bonus points. <Yeah. laughs> Achievement unlocked. Um, all right, something that I think I want to get out of the way earlier on because I need to talk about oh, it. You need to talk about it. I need to. Because of the way that these first 10 episodes have gone, can we talk about all of the similarities between the movie and the Lost Boys? Fuck yeah, we can. 
Because there are so many little bits, I wonder if that they are just such, some of these things are such vampire cliches that it's coincidental. How much of it is, like, we're directly referencing the Lost Boys and how much of it is somewhere in between where it's just like, the Lost Boys did it and then it's in the back of their head as they're, because Lost Boys came out first, yeah? Yes. I think Lost Boys is like 86, 87, and this was 91. Okay. Though then that goes back to what you said earlier. When was this actually written? Ooh. Versus, you know, when was the last uh, one? If you keep filling up air, I can check. Or I can just... Doop, 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 I can always just cut some of this extra space out, too. Because uh, now I'm really curious. So, yeah. So, I, when I say these things, I I don't want to say too specifically, you know, that it's a, it's a reference to Lost Boys, or it's because of Lost Boys, because they did come out pretty close, and the way that film development goes, you know, they very well could have been written before uh, the other one was even in existence. But So early on in the film, you are introduced to Paul Rubin's character on a carousel. Yeah, that's true. Which is very iconic in the lost boys scene. yeah uh not done as well as the lost boys like i'm uh, now that you're mentioning i'm almost wondering if like the director it's like well what's a cool vampire film that we could watch and right and spoof oh what a good idea because yeah i can't find out wh- I, I haven't found information of when the script was written but maybe i'm remembering this wrong but i could have swore and he wrote it Oh, good while beforehand, but maybe I'm remembering this wrong. But yeah, and then again, maybe Joss Whedon wrote it without all of these. But then the director, you know, it, clearly he had issue with how it was being changed. Yeah. So it very well could have been one of those points of contention. Um, and that, you know, makes it even more seem like a a spoof versus another vampire film, which is where you know some of that Mel Brooksian vibe that i was picking up on made coming you know is this a spoof of a vampire film See, and i guess i never thought of it as a spoof because i always viewed it as satire which you know okay. for some people is like tomato tomato but like um it's funny i i i i could watch two things and like point out which one's a spoof and which one's satire but it's one it's it's kind of like trying to explain irony to a person it's it's hard right. to find the words to describe how they're different like um I think there's a bit of a Venn diagram thing going on where you can have a satire that doesn't spoof and you can have a spoof that doesn't contain satire. I, However, a lot of films do I both. feel like spoof is almost like making fun of while satire is is um commentary commentary on, on. actually yeah, there we go. Because like I never felt any of Mel Brooks' movies were commenting on anything. It's more like Robin Hood Men of Tights was like, well, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves is popular. Let's go make a movie. Insert clip. But this is the hand I shoot with. Well, maybe a couple of years ago I could have shown you something, but today, look at that. Steady as a rock. Yeah, but I shoot with this hand. <laughs> I use that one a lot because of, of my tremors. <laughs> Whenever anybody points it out, yeah, but this is the hand I shoot with. <laughs> oh, good times. Okay, so we got the, the carousel scene. Um, there's the obviously the Sutherland connection. Yeah. 
And I, I, after reading all it was Joss's issues with Donald, like, I get it. I can actually kind of see what he's talking about now, but uh, he's got one of those presidents that's just really hard to dislike him. Same thing of Rutger <laughs> Hauer, like, and there's some scenes of Rutger that I really liked, like, um, when he grabs the cat for a snack. Yeah, or like I'm actually talking like the some serious scenes that I actually <laughs> really liked by him. It was like. When uh, Buffy's sleeping, and then like the camera pans out, and he's sitting there almost like her bedpost, and I was like, right, "Oh, that's kind yeah. of a creepy shot." And then I also love that he didn't mind uh, being cracking a couple jokes at the end, like, like when when hear, to hear Rutger Hauer in his vampire accent go as if, right? Yeah, me. I love it. Kind of, kind of break because. Like you, did, Paul, Paul Rubin's vampire character say, stayed pretty consistent, but um, you said Rucker. I'm not as familiar with his career. Uh, you'll um, know him best from um, shit. What's that Harrison Ford robot movie? Blade Runner. Ah, uh, no, because that is on. My it's on mine list. too. I just know he's I, in there. I own it. <laughs> I do not. But it's on my shame list. Um. Where was I going with? Oh, where he he more broke character. You know, he had the serious vampire lord presence, and then he would break character, I felt. Um, anyway, back to the Lost Boy stuff. So you have the the David Arquette vampire um flying outside of the window. That whole sequence. <laughs> You're flying! Very, yeah, and uh, in that sequence, he also is insistent, invite me in. Yes. So it plays on that whole, the the evil needs to be invited into the it's home, a, otherwise it can't cross the threshold. It's, it's subtle, too, because that's one thing I actually liked that this movie did. It didn't draw a lot of attention to that, because, like, yeah. Lost Boys and Fright Night, that's a big plot point, and this, in this one, it was just kind of like a throwaway line, almost. Yep. Like, referencing the lore without specifically making it a big part of the film right yeah i think that's all i'm noticing in my notes but there were there were many moments where i was watching it and i go boy that's so similar to this sequence from the lost boys yeah uh now that you've mentioned it, i can see it. like i don't think this film has any of the style that the lost boys has no. because um I'm blanking on the director right now of the Lost Boys. Uh, I'm usually really good about this. Um, <laughs> Go back and play our Lost Boys episode to find out more. Uh, well, that director has a lot of, you know, like or hate the movies he's done, he's got a voice to him. The director of the Buffy movie, I don't feel like she does. Uh, just based on the, like, I don't, just, it didn't feel like there was a strong directorial vision to the film. It was kind of like, let's throw what, let's throw everything at it and see what sticks. Uh, no. and I feel like the voice came from Whedon's script, realistically. Uh, because I feel like with a, with a worse script, this movie wouldn't, no one would talk about it. And not a lot of people talk about it anyways. Though I feel like some of the hardcore Buffy fans are too harsh on this movie. Like, I remember uh, some point when I was just starting film school, I was seeing this girl who went to an all-girls college, and I was hanging out there one time. They're like, oh, we're going to go do a Buffy marathon. And I said, oh, you're going you're gonna to include the movie. And they all just kind of stared at me. It's like, why the hell would we do that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I, I, I like the movie. We have to break up. <laughs> yeah, I like the movie. <laughs> it's got some party pictures. Party <laughs> 
Um, I don't know. It's, it's I, I, I hate that this movie's kind of become like the dark horse or the dark spot on like Buffy, Buffy lore because like I had a harder time sitting through the pilot than I did with the movie. And like as I as I continued on on season one, there was episodes I enjoyed, other ones I didn't enjoy as much. I was told the show picks up speed uh, a little bit later on, uh, but like I just I just feel like it's going to be impossible to ever uh, get Whedon to like his own stuff because even Dark Horse <laughs> Comics adapted Whedon's original script into a comic book called The Origins, and Eden and he Whedon still had issues with it, but he considers it <laughs> canon. Uh, his favorite thing is now um, the new adaptation of Merrick, uh, who actually looks a lot like uh, Wilford Brimley. Good morning. I'm Wilford Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. Ooh, he wrote the part. <laughs> Apparently, the part was for Wilford Brimley originally. Does Does Merrick have diabetes? He might. <laughs> actually, I was at a convention like two weeks ago. Wilford Brimley was there. I just I wanted to go up to him, and he's like, "Has anyone had you sign that picture yet?" <laughs> I've heard he's incredibly sweet, but he looks so angry. Always, always. Yeah. <laughs> His resting bitch face. Pretty much. He has an impressive mustache, though. Yeah. He wore a cowboy hat. <laughs> um, but no, I guess my point is, is like I really like the movie, and a part of it's because I saw it first. Like maybe if I saw the television show first, I'd feel differently. But I, sure. I really like yeah. the movie, and a big part of it is because I really like are two lead characters. I think Christy Swanson is fantastic in this movie. She does a good job of embodying this character. And even by the end, when she's kind of like swapped out what she wants out of life, she hasn't lost her fun side completely. And I like that she kind of takes control. And this is just part of uh, Whedon's MO. And it's one thing I really like about him. You know, she's just kind of, she's a strong character and she's kicking ass. Pike doesn't really do anything because he's constantly getting knocked down. And I just love that Christy Swanson shows up to prom wearing like pro wrestling boots and and an yeah. easy break easy breakaway <laughs> dress, which which she found at the last minute. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, and maybe I'm sure Sarah Michelle Gellar will uh, grow on me, but it's hard for me to not see Christy Swanson as Buffy. Sure, and you know we kind of talked about that whole concept in our Star Trek episode. Yep. Our, our pilot episode where how powerful the the first thing you watch is yeah you you get an affinity for it that you can't shake no matter how good that that other version of the same thing is mm-hmm. and it's like i i'm i almost wish i could have been a uh I wish I would have been like I I was alive, I guess, when Buffy originally was on his, had his original run, but I was too young to really know or care. Um, yeah, and especially with like television production, how it was at the time, I'd be really curious. I wish I could go back and just experience for the first time as it's on, because um, maybe I'd have a stronger stronger feeling for it. Because I've I've got some friends who are huge in huge into Buffy, and some that have actually written essays about it. Um, and I think that's fantastic. And I wish I could get into the show the way they can. And I'm gonna chug through it. Like I haven't even finished season one, so I'm sure like 
a lot changes. Like, yeah. you know, first season, people are still trying to get a grasp on their own characters and the tone and feeling. Um, yeah, the crew's still getting to each other. And yeah, yeah. It, things get rarely iron out until season two, if not three. Yeah, so I, I'm hoping that some of the action gets better. Because uh, that's what, like, the Buffy movie, some of their action sequences are really well put together. Uh, in the yeah. TV show, it feels like you'll see you'll see like one of the characters kick, and then it'll just do to a cutaway of the of the vampire flying away, and it's like it just looks cheap. The the film though did suffer from uh, samurai syndrome, where you know there's first off. Uh, he makes a big deal about you know, the cardinal rule of vampire hunting. Cardinal rule. Number one, most important. One vampire is easy to kill, but ten is harder. Like, okay. It seems like there should be some other cardinal rule. <laughs> but, but then, at the end of the film, when she is surrounded by ten vampires, they only attack her one at a time. So, some cardinal rule. Maybe they didn't get the memo. <laughs> Yeah, it really that 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 was another thing, uh, an issue I had is some of these like what seemed to be very major messages really didn't pay off. There was that one, yeah. right? If you're you don't just throw cardinal rule around willy nilly. <laughs> you do if you're Donald fucking Sutherland. <laughs> I guess uh, the other one is towards the end, and I really, if I get the chance to rewatch this movie, this is probably where I'll spend all of my. Uh, energy doing at the end they talked about oh donald sutherland again says something about uh, the music ending and that's where whatever and then she has this moment where he stops playing his violin and oh she gets this epiphany when the music stops and then it didn't pay like and and then what <laughs> what was that epiphany you just had share it with the audience no, it's for you to infer. Instead, yeah, I guess. instead we're gonna hear a story about how Donald Sutherland would have been a good bootmaker, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is, is probably one of his best scenes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been a fine bootmaker. He always has those eyes that are wandering off, looking. He always. He also like he he always shows up. Like there, she she's walking down the street in a vampire, and and she stabs the vampire, and then he's standing there with a watch, like timing her, because they were setting a trap for her to stab her first. Va- but like, and, but he keeps every time she stabs a vampire, the next scene, the next shot is Donald Sutherland like walking in from camera left and like just being there. And I don't understand. Yeah, I'm really curious. Like when he started the when he started the watch, how would they know a vampire is going to be there? Because like, what if he? What yes. if she was walking down the street and there was just nothing going on? It's like you're taking too long, Buffy. How many people? I, I understand that you know there's a surge in vampire activity, but how many people and they're in LA, aren't they? I think so. I don't think they ever. Or a suburb. They never or, said, but it's it, it's LA. They seemed pretty fucking sure that a vampire was going to jump out of that dead alley, like. Is it is eight out of ten people getting mobbed by vampires whenever they're in alleys? Maybe there. I don't know. There's that one uh, newscaster at the end that was talking about the vampires, and he has the, my favorite line of the movie. One eyewitness said it looked like a really gross hickey. Hickey, <laughs> yes. Uh, and I just, I, um, 
unrelated to everything we've been talking, I just love that Hillary Swank is in this movie playing such a ditzy, weird, funny character. Oh my god! And I, I just point to my wife and go, she wins an Oscar later on in life. <laughs> yeah, I just want you to have that in your brain as you finish watching this. She was also in the next Karate Kid. Oh. Who could forget? I love that movie. Uh, Shut up. Since, since we're pointing out totally random things, I'd like to point out that in the beginning, one of the characters is very beginning. One of the characters is eating uh, light Doritos. Is that a thing? Uh, I did not know that it was. Who says you have to give up the things you like? Give up something you won't miss, like a little oil, ruffles light, Cheetos light, Doritos light. Never give up the taste. I, I love Doritos, but I'm really trying to watch my caloric intake. I, I love that uh, in the beginning of the film, uh, uh, Benny and Pike are hanging out at, like, they go to this restaurant, and all they can afford is one hot dog, so they split it. And doesn't one take the <laughs> bun and one takes the hot dog? Yeah, they don't cut it in <laughs> half. Luke Perry just shoves the entire bun in his face, chokes on it. And David Arquette takes the hot dog, puts it by his crotch, and throws it in Buffy's face. Yeah, and then it gets cut. Quite impressive. Yeah. Maybe that's why they had such a short montage, because she's already really skilled, and they just have to do a lot of training. Yeah, which again, then, like, if she has all this natural talent, why did she need to be trained by the Watcher at all? Because she didn't know that this was her calling. The Watcher's there pretty much to tell her what her job is and to check his watch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, let, let's shave three seconds off that vampire stabbing could we yeah let's 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 work on that all right and i'd i'd like to say it, in this compare and contrast um giles from the show did a much better job of being a weird character without seeming like he was going to kidnap and do terrible things to Buffy. It's true. The whole it's true. time, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop and for her to, like, for Donald Sutherland to pull her into some strange van and just drive away and roll credits. That would have been a really interesting re- retake of this movie where he com- lies to her completely about these vampires just so he can fucking kidnap her. What, what are you, Lego? So 15, 16? <laughs> Whack. <laughs> oh but no i agree i actually really like giles and um because i didn't love the pilot episode for the tv show um it was like an episode two or uh, one or two after the pilot that I, I really started getting into it but uh giles was the thing that really kept me going because i liked him and then i like i don't know her character name but i liked lily from how i met your mother yeah yeah <laughs> so she's always gonna be Lily. Uh, willow willow can we just call her Willie? Willie. Willie. Totally, yeah. We, we both went there. Okay, um, so we're since, since this has absolutely no structure, no. our episode today, I'm going to throw uh, a trivia question at you. All right. With a, a Buffy-related trivia question. Um, kind of a six degrees thing. In, in each, in, in the pilot of the show and the movie, there is a an actor that was in separate films but each one was in a horror a a popular horror franchise and i'm wondering if you can point either of those two out wait and there may be more wait 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 wait. restructure this question so so one of the actors in buffy the vampire slayer the movie 
is in a popular horror franchise. Many, many films, you know, a full franchise. Then an actor from the pilot of the show was in another horror franchise. Uh, I have two people in mind, though. I don't think they're accurate. Um, the movie okay. has Stephen Root in it. That is pop. I, I don't nice. think he was ever in a franchise, but he popped up in a bunch of different horror films. And then I do okay. not remember the actor's name, but if you give me one second, I will look it up. <laughs> uh, dead air, Nick. Help me cover this dead air. Yeah, uh, we're covering dead air. Yeah, we're covering the dead air. Right. Hold on. I just got to find this actor's name so I can point out who he is because it's not fun saying that guy who kind of looks like, you know. The, the guy who does the thing. All right. Well, I'll just, while you're doing that, I'll point out another fun thing that I noticed about the TV show, and that's the name of the high school, Sunnydale. Yeah. Clearly um, a, a uh, foil to the darkness that the vampires need. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, if you're you're not going to name the high school in a vampire film Sunny something accidentally. No, that's fair. Why can't I find this fucking <laughs> actor? Oh, because this is not gonna this this not gonna make sense without without <laughs> him. Um, and he, he he's one of those annoying actors that I never knew the name of to begin with. Uh, Eric Balfour is yes. from Texas. He was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, uh, yep. and I believe he was also in a movie called Camp Nowhere with Christopher Lloyd. Nice. Um, so yes, that was the one from the show that I was thinking yes. of. Uh, so the one from the movie is um, when they're at the prom and the vampires first attack, or it's not the prom, but the dance. And the vampires first start showing up. A student walks into the gym with blood on him yeah. and says something to the effect of the vampire, you know, something's going on, people are dying. He was in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 6, Freddy's Dead, as Carlos. Oh, fuck, you're um, right. Who had the hearing aid that, like, clawed out and boom, 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 with that, that great pin dropping sequence with Freddy scratching his nails on the chalkboard. So many people hate that movie, but it seems like that just is like, oh my god, this is brilliant. If you appreciate the comedy side of Freddy, that one is far and away uh, the most comedic. You know that. Um, so it's it's not the the one you watch for the stairs or the darkness. You watch that one for the goofy slapsticky Freddy. Nice hearing from you, Carlos. No, that makes sense. And um, see if I if I uh, there's another. This, this movie is kind of like a who's who of uh, of uh, like '90s actors. Um, uh, and another person that pops up is Sasha Jensen. He plays the vampire okay. that gets changed during the basketball game, and he's. He's oh, best yeah. known for being in the movie Halloween 4, oh. uh, The Return of Michael Myers, and Dazed and Confused. Nice. Which he was oh. in with Ben Affleck, who's also in that same fucking scene. What? what? Uh, it's not a horror franchise, but Seth Green, who is in both the movie and the TV show, is in a little stoner horror film. Idle Hands. You can call it horror by the name of Idle Wait, Hands. Wait, who was he yes. in the movie? 
Um, he he's one of the like vampire number seven or something. That's funny. I I never caught that. I I read it. Oh, that's a cheat. And I saw like three different people that might have been Seth Green. But apparently he shows up in the show and has a prominent. Oh yeah, role I, I believe that. he has like a relationship with Willow or something. Okay. Um, that wouldn't make sense. So yeah, that that was a fun little game. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I, I I didn't get all of your guesses, but I got I got um, I got one yeah. and then, uh, two. You got fifty percent. And then I got a couple honorable <laughs> mentions. I feel like that should count yeah. for something. That's totally extra credit. <laughs> um. TV show, I guess let's, let's talk about that. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's worth mentioning, and uh, almost poetically, it's it, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is no longer on Netflix. It's been taken off. I, I noticed that, um, yeah. However, it makes sense, well, it wouldn't make sense, but somewhere Joss Whedon's really happy about this, because Ever the Purist, he hates the new widescreen remasters of Buffy, which I don't blame him for, because what they did essentially was... Uh, when they started re-televising Buffy on on HD channels, they're like, well, no one wants to watch the black bars, so they pushed they digitally pushed in on all the shots or sometimes removed where the bars are supposed to be. So, like, there's a scene in Buffy's bedroom where you can see a fucking giant light just off the side of the screen. And, uh, you know, since he shot the show, the Miz and Sen is specifically planned for four or three televisions. That's the best methods to watch it. Netflix never had this, but Hulu does... However, it's, it's really annoying because the, the HD remasters for Buffy, picture quality-wise, were beautiful other than them being artificially pushed in and having Willow's chin be cut off and Guile's head be cut off when they're sitting and standing next to each other. While Hulu has the original 4.3 versions, they look like ass. So right. it's like, it, I can't win. Well-framed ass. Well-framed ass. Big, gaping asses. <laughs> That was a. Uh, I was trying to reference uh, Zach and Miri make a porno, but I realized I didn't say the entire oh. quote, so it was just big gaping asses. <laughs> uh, I actually watched that not too long ago. <laughs> For what it is, I, it 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 holds up pretty damn well. Yeah, I like yep. it a lot. I enjoyed it. <laughs> but uh, anyways, the TV show. Um. It's not technically a sequel to the movie, but it's a sequel to the movie uh, because right. Sarah Michelle Gellar is essentially playing a West Valley girl version of the of the Christy Swanson Buffy, you know, talking about how all the schools that she was kicked out of, they've made her mother a better character. She's not just some drunk that keeps going out and fooling around <laughs> people. Um, but I'm wondering, since I saw the movie first and then saw the TV show, if this might have been jarring for audiences that began with the show but never saw the movie because there's a lot inferred, but I feel like without context of the movie, it seems kind of goofy that she's already an ass-kicking slayer and it's never touched upon why, and the TV show feels like a sequel and not its own beast. Um, I did read, however, that Whedon wrote the pilot script as a sequel to his original movie script, but to his original movie script, not the original movie. Right, right. Um, no, I I did not feel that starting with the TV show. Uh, you know, I'm I generally appreciate when they're right off the bat. It feels like there's backstory. That it feels like you're in a universe. That you're not necessarily watching an origin story in the first 
element of an ongoing series. You know, that's you, you had the same thing with Star Wars. You know, the first Star Wars, right off the bat, episode four. Like, okay. That's actually a good, so, good point. So you know there's backstory there. Yeah. I, and that, that was weird. Something I never questioned as a kid with Star Wars. And yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, and George Lucas has said that he, he never wrote that expecting to go back and it's not like he had three movies worth of content and then just decided to start with four. yeah hmm, that makes sense and uh it, it's a question i've always mean to ask uh some of my friends who are big buffy fans but i feel like if you discovered any point in the day of the internet you could find out pr- practically anything because this is interesting just to have a cold start you know talking about like oh you burned down your last gym but you're really a vampire kid well they never said that but like they get they get to that point pretty fucking quickly um i really enjoyed the the interview with uh i don't know if it was the principal or a guidance counselor <laughs> or something when yes. she first said all right you know what we're just gonna rip this up welcome to sunnydale and then he looks at it and starts taping it back together and tells her to watch herself yes. <laughs> he's trying so hard to be the cool guy that is giving her a second chance but then oh shit yep nope i'm gonna keep my eye on you yeah i uh I, he's kind of like the seymour skinner of the school um and one thing i steamed hams <laughs> steamed hams <laughs> what is that what is that weird color coming from your kitchen aurora borealis aurora borealis <laughs> in, in your kitchen at this time of the year during the day yes can i see it no <laughs> Oh. Everyone else loves Ned Flanders. Cletus, the slap jawed yokel. I can call my mom from up here. <laughs> hey, Ma! <laughs> Get off the dang roof! <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone listening. We just decided to go into a bunch of Simpsons quotes for no reason. <laughs> and to jump so dramatically <laughs> between episodes. I think that. Smash cut, smash I cut. I think smash those cut. all might have been the same episode 22 short yeah, stories about so. Springfield. Yep. And yes, I know that. Um, anyways, back to Buffy. Um, <laughs> I while the, I think I love that the movie was a satire of eighties teenage culture in the nineties. But I guess in a way, if you think about it, the movie was made in ninety one, came out in ninety two. Always when whenever a de- there's a decade change, the first couple years are spillover from the previous decade because people are still the eighties is really like eighty five to ninety five. It, it really is just like the seventies are set about seventy five to eighty five. Um, right. You know, but the movie was, was it felt like a, a satire of teenage, uh, 80s teenage culture. And the TV show definitely felt like it had the same thing going on with the 90s. It felt like it had, because yeah. the TV show came out in like 97 or something, maybe. Maybe maybe it wasn't that way, but I thought it was like 97. Um, and it felt like it was doing the same thing with the 90s. It was just commenting on what teenagers are like. And I got my skater chain and my, uh, that, that, uh, was it a POV shot of the dude on the skateboard? Xander, the yeah. Opening sequence. It's, yeah. Oh, and then like he's just late nineties, trying so hard to be the cool nineties guy, and I, even though he's supposed to be the geek, he just. Ah. <laughs> I part my hair down the. Middle. Oh my god! The the I call that the Eric Foreman. Yeah, yeah. I totally had that. Shave the sides up. 
part down the middle and let it flop on down. I just realized I uh, I said the wrong character. I actually meant uh, Eric from Boy Meets World, Eric Matthews. I oh, called Eric not Matthews. the Eric Foreman. That's that seventy show. I I That's, said it and yeah. it felt wrong. Uh, the Eric <laughs> Matthews because he had that haircut. My brother had that haircut too. Um, nice. Until about what season four when he went all spiky with it. Yeah, which was my favorite look of his when he started getting when he started oh. getting the beard and everything. The monkey, the monkey I, has my happy dance. <laughs> I I could do a twenty minute love story on Eric Matthews and the the actor that plays it. Uh, it's so fantastic. We, Will we might have to save Freedom. that uh, and actually maybe even talk about you uh, do a you could do a solo episode on it at some point. There you go, a, a love sonnet to, to Eric Matthews. Um. <laughs> One thing I have to say I liked a lot about the show, and you mentioned it earlier, Giles is a way better trainer slash watcher than Merrick. Yeah. I even had that in my notes. I love Donald Sutherland, but you know he just stands there and twirls his mustache. Um, <laughs> and I feel like this was meant in the movie, but through some through bad direction, it got lost in the shuffle, and it was way more apparent in the um, in the TV show, especially because the TV show takes place more in actual school. That I love that yeah. the supernatural elements in the series are kind of stood as metaphors. Maybe that's not the right word, but they kind of, they felt like metaphors for like the personal anxieties that kids have, you know, dealing sure. with young adulthood. Yeah. And I kind of I kind of dug yeah. that, and it, it felt those themes felt way stronger in the uh, in the TV show. And it, you know, again, I'm basing all of my knowledge on two episodes, but. I never doubted for a moment that Giles served a purpose. You know, he has all of this knowledge that he's going to use to support Buffy in her vampire hunting. Whereas, uh, uh, Merrick. Yeah. Okay. Is that the same character name as the, uh, the exorcist? Or is it slightly different? You know what? Father. Father, I think you're right. Let me look that up. Hmm. Anyway, like, Meredith's character, like, other than discovering her by, you know, finding which girl has a hairy mole on her, her upper boob, like, <laughs> what function did he serve? Uh, didn't really. I have a sweet, I have a sweet, like, private gym you can use to hone your wiener slicing abilities. <laughs> And I can time you, because heaven forbid you have to time yourself while you're trying to stab vampires. Yeah. Oh, and the one from the Exorcist's name is Marin, so we're close. Okay. Um, close. No, ex- exactly. Like I, um, I felt like Giles. He, I feel like he took the job at the school, and we might maybe we'll find this later. He took the job at the school because he knew if he was going to find the Slayer any anywhere, knowing her age, it would be there. Um, and he took a completely less creepy approach to it. And while Giles and and Merrick both have the, you know, you need to stop wasting your time with all this frivolous stuff, like it felt more apparent in the t- in the TV show that Buffy just wanted to be a regular teenage girl. Like she was she was not going to say no to her. Like she was still going to do everything she felt she had to as far as vampire wise. But she's just trying to get some semblance of normalcy in her life. Prepares me for what? For getting kicked out of school? For losing all of my friends? For having to spend all of my time fighting for my life and never getting to tell anyone because I might endanger them? 
Go ahead. Prepare me. And um, Christy Swanson didn't feel necessarily like she was looking for normalcy. She just didn't want to deal with any of this shit. You know what my dreams are? Okay, I'll kill vampires then. <laughs> um... So I just the, the 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 young adult nature of the TV show just felt more apparent to me, and I and I I like yeah. it, and especially with it being a TV show and having more time to grow up the characters, I feel like I'm hoping that's something that's really strengthened over the times. Uh, I'd also like to point out how friggin' adorable baby Agent Booth is. Wait, what? <laughs> Angel. Oh, who plays Agent Booth and Bones? Oh, see, I never watched Bones. Okay. I knew he was in it. He's such a boy, baby. Yeah. Yet he does not look like he's changed much. No. I mean, the man has aged well. I can only hope that when I'm 74 like he is now, that... <laughs> no, he's not that. No, he's probably like 40-something. He's a friggin' dreamboat. Yeah, even now. Yeah. Like, not gonna lie, he's a good-looking dude. <laughs> the jawline strong i don't have a strong jawline that's why i had to grow a beard just to make it look like i had a jaw you you do have a strong beard i line. do it's got like a perfect point <laughs> you can give people directions yeah. with it Whoop. <laughs> uh uh I'm, I'm glad no one could see me doing that that was really kind of embarrassing <laughs> the only person saw me do that was you nick um but no it's um it's no secret that I, I prefer the movie. Uh, but that doesn't mean that won't change. I'm basing myself uh, this off of uh, half of a season of a TV show. That, sure. And like, I'm, I'm sure the clunkiness that I have an issue with will go away. Um, it's just some of the clunkiness just feels strange that it's there considering like the movie, which had a, has its problems, didn't feel nearly as clunky in, in terms of its direction and the way that it was paced and uh kind of my final synopsis which is i alluded to pretty strongly in the beginning is i enjoy them both i wouldn't say one stood out to me over the other one in terms of quality they're just too as you've said and i totally agree there are a lot of similarities obviously you know the the two did not feel like they were so disparate that they didn't belong together but one to me was like watching slapstick spoof with the with the vampire bits and the other one took itself more seriously and if i went into watching the both with that in mind then i i don't think i would prefer one over the other no that's fair um i don't think i have a whole much more for about buffy do you <laughs> no no let me uh just do a quick check of the notes I talked about the white Doritos. Yes, you did. So, I mean, what else is yeah, there? Yeah, not a whole lot. Uh, I talked about the hot dog. Yeah. Um, I I will point out that I love that there's like a set, in the TV show there's like this heavy metal club that the, the teenagers have no problem getting into. That's amusing <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, which didn't feel totally unlike Twin Peaks in that way. There's this that still weird... bothers me that they can get into that fucking bar. <laughs> Uh, there is one thing I would like to bring up before we wrap, and that is the basketball coach from the film. <laughs> I almost <laughs> choked on my tea. I just love that he's folding the jackets. It's and again, it's it's a throwaway character. He serves no purpose, and I love that they they had fun with it 
without focus. They could have easily, like, tried to make too much of that character, and then it would have ruined it. He just has these great little one-liners about, you know, just get in there, let's all have a good time. It, it's it's the, the kindergarten soccer coach yes. that, you know, hey... Let's all get participation trophies and think about each other's feelings, even though it's a very serious high school basketball game. Yeah. Um, no, I love that character. And, like, every time I see him, it's like, oh, who does he remind me of? And, like, he actually reminds me of uh, of Judd Nelson in Airheads. Because, <laughs> nice. like, he, he played a very similar type of character, which is as, like, a music producer <laughs> yeah. in Airheads. And every time I watch this movie, like, whenever I think back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I'm always like, oh, yeah, Judd Nelson plays the coach, even though it's not him at, at all. Just in my mind, it's Judd Nelson. <laughs> um, but before we wrap, I actually want to talk about the solo episode you did, Listen Up, Fuckers. Oh, um, listen Up, Fuckers. That was, I have to say, like, and I'm not, uh, like, I feel like we comment on each other's solo episodes every so often. You're so good. No, um, you're so good. And because we don't talk, I, I, I try not to talk about it until we're on the air. Because then, you know, it's something else for us to talk about. It's a little more fresh. Um, and I, uh, you, it came off incredibly honest and earnest, which I, which I appreciated. And I feel like I learned something about you while I was listening to that. And um, I love the idea of, of the, the topic of essentially your life through movies where you had, you picked essentially a movie for every, every phase, phase of your life. And, yeah. uh I don't remember how many phases you had in your interview. I remember there was Goonies. There was... Uh, then High School, which SLC Punk. Yep. And then there was um, your adult wife, which was... Uh, college. Um, and then now... Silence of the Lambs. Uh, no, then it went to um, uh, Marriage with Boy Meets World and The Simpsons. Yes. And then now. So it was five phases though there were many honorable mentions well i thought i would um i haven't put a lot of thought into this so maybe this answer would change and um i'm kind of going off of uh an idea that i stole from another podcast it's a podcast i've been listening to called the uh the pure cinema podcast where they don't do favorites whenever they do they're talking about topic they never pick their five favorites it's so subjective they do five because and nice. it does. It yeah, doesn't have that. to be a favorite. It, it, it could just be one that they feel like mentioning in that day. So I figured I would go through those phases of my own life, especially having just gotten married, and I would pick a TV show or movie that's associated with that. Awesome. Uh, so childhood would, without a shadow, that would have to be mo- would have to be the Monster Squad, which was my Goonies <laughs> growing up because I didn't see Goonies until like middle school. Uh, so the Monster Squad would be my pick. Uh, with uh. Very close second, Terminator slash the live stage production of Peter Pan. <laughs> and that's only because the, ta- the tape that my mom taped it off of, she had Terminator at the beginning of the tape, and then it cut to <laughs> totally. like the live stage performance of Peter Pan, where like the girl was playing Peter Pan. So I always had to watch through Terminator to get to the other movie, <laughs> because my fast forward button didn't work. Uh, so that would be my childhood one. Uh, for a high school... Uh, I feel like there's a lot of movies I could pick, but uh, Chasing Amy is the one that sticks out strongest to me. Uh, and 
you know, it was around, it was one of the times that I discovered Kevin Smith. You know, I'd seen Clerks, I'd seen Mallrats, but Chasing Amy stuck with me, especially because at the time I had never been in a relationship with anyone, and it kind of set a precedence for what relationships were. And not that like <laughs> I I liked high school. Me was weird because like I liked that it wasn't all sunshine or roses. You know, because like we, their happy times was essentially condensed down to a montage, and then it got to the grippling defeat of like, oh shit, this is how bad a relationship can go. So like, <laughs> I feel like it almost prepared me for knowing one day this might happen to me, but I've got something now to go I'm off. Picturing, now I'm picturing high school. You like, boy, I can't wait to like, I get a girlfriend, and then she leaves me for a girl. <laughs> oh boy, gee, Willikers, Batman. That's gonna be great. Um, so Chase and Amy would be my pick. Plus, that was around the time that I started getting really into filmmaking. And I watched Chase and Amy, and I was like, I think I could make this. You know, going off of, like, how it was shot. It's like, I, I, I'm competent enough that I can make this. <laughs> um, college would have to probably be Drive. Uh, the Nicholas Winding Refn movie, because it was around the time that I started developing my own visual style and figuring out what I really liked in movies outside of like, oh, that was so dumb. I love it. Or something like that. Like it, it was really helped me create an aesthetic of what I what I dig, you know, and that's when I started really getting into my art house influences. And Drive was a mainstream art house film, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and that stuck with me. Like I uh, I think someone one time asked me like if you had to pick one movie over the last ten years that's your that's your favorite movie what would you pick and without thinking about it I'd have to choose Drive because it's the only movie that I think about almost every day in some capacity. Nice, wow. So that would be that. Um, and then marriage would have to be because I'm trying to think of something that like me and Amanda share together. And it would probably have to be the TV show New Girl. Nice. Because that was something that uh, she had started watching. She told me how funny it was. So I started watching it. We got caught up on it. And we watch it, you know, every week when it comes out. And it's something we both really look forward to. I I wish I was a Nick, but I know I'm more of a Schmidt. (laughs) As I get older, I turn into Schmidt. The funny thing is, like, I want to be a Nick, and I keep telling myself, well, no, I'm not a Nick. I'm probably more of a Winston because how goofy I am. Uh, and Amanda keeps saying, no, you're more of a Nick. And I was like, no, I'm not. Shut up. Am I? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so flattering. <laughs> um, a- actually, after I shot that episode, I realized two omissions. Um, so I'm glad you brought it up. One for the... I don't even know if it's honorable mention because it's so on par with Goonies for my... My first category is the never-ending story. Oh. That's another one that we had taped off of. We talk about the never-ending story. Oh. With all of the great commercials, and it's it's so, so amazing. Um, and when I was talking about Kevin Smith movies, I did it, I, I talked about uh, Clerks and Dogma, but failed to mention Mallrats, which is right up i think it's a with, brilliant movie it's like it's so good and it's not even like oh it's 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 charming and look how bad it is and i like it no it's legitimately a no, decent movie it is so good like it, his comic timing is just firing on all yeah. cylinders 
Uh, high school is the hardest one though to whittle down to one movie for myself too because that's when I was most influential. Like the times I was most influential because like that's when I saw SLC Punk as well, and that really stuck with me, especially because that's when I was really getting into punk music. And like, it's you know learning that you know the because like I I loved punk music, but I didn't look very much like a punk. I kind of looked more like Henry Rollins <laughs> with my long hair and just angry look. And I was like, oh, no one's gonna think I'm a punk. And then hearing his whole speech about how posers are the ones who look like the stereotypical punk taught me so much right. about punk. Like to this to this day, like I was talking about Iggy Pop, and I was talking to a friend at work, and he's like, oh, Iggy Pop sucks now. He hasn't put out a good punk record in forever. And he's like, you are fucking retarded. He's like, he just he just put out a uh uh an instrument not, not instrumental he just put out a a a love a, a, a record him singing all french love songs in french and he's like what's punk about that it's like what's not punk about that decision yeah. <laughs> what's that's the most completely punk thing you could do right now i'm pretty sure i'm i'm living that movie out in the reverse order though you're gonna become a republican not, no th- this last weekend my wife and I, we played D&D once a month at the house with some friends. And, and we're sitting there playing D&D and somebody starts talking about Rush. And I look over at my wife. I know this is straight out of SLC Pond. Hey, Rush is a very good band. <laughs> I remember that. Um, I've got a really great dungeon tonight. And then the two other high school movies I have to choose because they really inform who I am as a filmmaker. Which... I, I mention a lot my my film the film work is because I, and I really because I define myself through it. I think you said in the maybe you didn't say this in your episode, but I feel like we've talked about it personally that like I, we both define ourselves not only through what we've made but just our love for cinema. And my yeah. love for cinema comes part of it comes because I love making movies so much and watching them makes me a better filmmaker. And so it's a weird never ending cycle. But uh, Heather uh, Heather's is one of my all-time favorite movies. That one's on my shame list. Oh, then that's an episode we have to do because that is my that's my jam. Um, <laughs> and then John Carpenter's Halloween, which is the movie that told yeah. me I need to go to film school. Awesome. College is a lot is even more difficult because like my brain was firing in so many different directions. <laughs> like that's when I discovered I, I I started getting into Hitchcock. That's when I started getting into the French New Wave. Uh, and all these artsy fartsy bullshit that no one cares about. Like, <laughs> like yeah, the Dark Knight came out when I was in college. That's cool. But here's all these other weird movies that really <laughs> get me going. Right. <laughs> um. So to wrap up, something that I've wanted to do for a while now. I think I had the idea when we first started, kind of defining the show before we shot an episode, and we haven't done yet. Um. Every once in a while, maybe each episode, we we take turns doing this. We throw a handful of movies at the other person and just see if there are any that you haven't seen. So so it's a, a challenge to add, potentially add things to your shame list. Okay. I, I went kind of medium stream on these, so I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if you if there are any on here that you haven't seen, but they're ones that I've been thinking about a lot lately. They're ones that I would love to see again. So if we did do an episode, I'd really look forward to it. Okay. I'm ready so I can write them down. I don't have any for you, but next week, and actually maybe I was thinking we could tailor them a little bit. So like say this week we're talking about Buffy, and if I would have came prepared, 
we would essentially been like, here are th- like two to five movies that would make a great pair up with Buffy. Sure. You know, yeah. whether it actually it'd be, you know, directly theme, have a similar story, or just like there's this common character characterness. Cause like, for example, I would I would pair Buffy with Heathers. And I can't tell you sure. why necessarily because you haven't seen the movie yet, but there's a couple <laughs> character traits that remind me of the two. But Okay. Uh, give me your movies. Give give me just a second. There's one more that I want to add to it, and the name is escaping me. Is it Escape from New York? Because that's cool. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> Which is now on Netflix, by the way. Ooh. Um, I know it starts with a C. Um, damn it. All right. Oh, got it. Okay. <clears throat> the Cell. The Cell. Is that the uh, the Angelina Jolie movie? No, the Jennifer Lopez. That's actually movie. what I who I meant. Okay. Uh, but no, I have not seen it. Okay. Um, it it has its weaknesses, but um, the uh, all of the uh, Killer's Mind sequences are inspired, I believe, by a single artist, possibly several. Um, but the visuals on that are off the chain. They're Really I've cool. heard like when that movie first came out, it was like I would say I was still pretty young. I had no interest in it, but I feel like now as an adult, uh, it's something I definitely want to check out. Nice, um, the cube. Uh, I haven't seen that one either. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, Give me a little brief description. Um, it's it's a classic labyrinth story, but done with kind of an indie sci-fi take. A uh, bunch of people wake up in a strange device. Ooh, or, I like devices. And they're trying to escape, and that's the whole movie. I'm I'm uh, sold. Spawned, spawned several sequels. Really? Um, all of which are, I mean, there's there's nothing dramatically different about them, but it's a it's fun. Like sci-fi, psychological thriller kind of thing. Yeah, um, it's pe- people trying to escape a trap, basically. Okay, I'm uh, sold. In the mouth of madness, the John Carpenter movie has been yeah. on my shame list forever. I own it too. Oh, nice! It's it's been one I've been dying to see, and I just. I haven't like I wouldn't say I haven't had the reason. It's just like I it's been on my shelf and I just like have not pulled it out yet. Nice. All right, one more. We're I'm three for three. Dark City. It's another one I've not seen. Awesome. Four for four. Well, you just baby. added four movies to my fucking shame list. <laughs> all great. They all have kind of a similar like they're not straight up horror, but it's that kind of like dark thriller i can, I can kind of see um, uh uh from what i remember like well i haven't seen them i've seen trailers or posters or whatnot i can kind of see yeah. like a similar wave through all of them the only one that actually feels kind of out of it uh like does not fit like the the visual tone of these movies is the in the mouth of madness sure. but yeah. um you know it's john carpenter adapting hp lovecraft so it's been on right. my and i love sam neill who doesn't? The dinosaur hunter's amazing. Um, he's <laughs> just the beast knees. <laughs> and that is all I have to say about Sam Neill. All right. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw an option at Ooh, you. Options. Here. So this this was uh, my shameless episode, one off of me. We had talked previously about possibly doing your the hunter from the future. Yes. For your upcoming episode, but do you want to do your or one of these off this list for our next episode? I would love to do In the Mouth of Madness. Awesome. Let's do it. Because, like, yeah, they all, they all sound interesting, but, like, In the Mouth of Madness was on my shame list. It may not have been on the one I published, but it's been on my personal shame list for right. some time. Um, and then next episode, you can throw a few at me and see see how how I do. Perfect. I'll have to put my thinking cap on. <laughs> I hope that is an actual physical thing. Yeah, it's a it's an old colander that I've I've drawn lightning bolts on. <laughs> I see you're in the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I. You know, we we again. I said earlier. We didn't really have much of a narrative arc for this. We never do. Episode, like, but it was a really fun conversation. It was, and like I listen to some other podcasts that I'm really jealous of, and like love the way that they structure their podcasts. Like, but I just I know that that's just not how we're gonna because like I want this to sound conversational, other than yeah. my pre written intros. I feel like they do. <laughs> well, I've that, got so we weren't that rusty. Yeah. We were worried. Uh, we were a little rusty because uh, it's you know the way our schedules have shaken out. But I'm proud that we've gotten one out every two weeks. Yeah, well, I don't think we've ever missed one. Yeah, which is a personal best, and we've hit our ten episode mark. We're that's where uh, it's our anniversary. Yeah, I uh, uh, well, originally I told myself, I was like Amanda, I w- I'm not going to buy a m- Amanda's my, me and my wife. I'm not going to buy a better microphone until I can prove to myself that this is going to happen. And she's like, oh, that's a good idea. What's your, what's your number? And I was like, well, I could feel comfortable in saying 50. She's like, that's a little high. I was like, okay, let's do 10. <laughs> <laughs> so now I can start looking at better slightly better microphones because uh, I, I, I mentioned on the show before, at least I thought I did, I am recording. We're both recording off of rock band mics. Yeah. Sometimes you'll do one microphone off of, uh, at your job. But yeah, that one's a, a pretty nice vocal mic. I've got a uh, a relatively expensive jib arm for my really <laughs> crappy cheap rock band microphone. That I I, ha- I think they sound pretty decent for the what the biggest are. problem is they just they have a lot of room tone. But if you when you're editing, if you throw in like a noise remover, it, c- it cuts that out. And that's what yeah. I do whenever I'm editing. Nice. Yeah. So that's a little inside baseball for you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we got a lot accomplished. We did. Like, I think our runtime uh, is about like an hour and twenty. This might be our longest episode yet. I think it is. It's going to be even, and that's before we even add clips. Yeah, in. and like, I'm going to have to add a bunch of Simpsons references in now because we talked <laughs> about them. And there's probably only thirty five minutes worth of ums, lights, and stammers. So. I've gotten, I've. Uh, I've stopped becoming so obsessive about that. I used to cut yeah. out a lot of the empty space or of like I, I was being a little too critical on it. And I was talking to a buddy of mine, Kyle, who 
he records a podcast, a pro wrestling podcast. He doesn't, he's not in it. He actually physically is the one recording it and editing it. Okay. It's called Cigars and Conversations. And it's just about this, this professional wrestler from Wisconsin and his good buddy who's a promoter just sitting back and talking about wrestling from when they're kids. And Kyle's the one that hates the Phantom Told with, right? He wouldn't say he hates it. <laughs> he's just doesn't get my arch nemesis. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he told, I told him like, uh, like in our first couple episodes, how I was obsessively cutting out ums and ifs and buts and just trying to make it sound more fluent. And he says, he tries to keep a lot of that in because it just, it sounds, it, it's more indicative of character. You know, yeah. if we're, if we're obviously really having a hard time or stumbling, I'll cut some of that stuff out. But like some of the right. dead air of us thinking, or I've noticed sometimes when we laugh, it does, it's not very audible. It's not very audible. So it's just like a weird <laughs> silence. Uh, but I've kept that in because it's. I want people to sound kind of like we're a fly. They're a fly in the wall of us, just shooting the shit about movies. Yep. So. I did it. Yeah, I do too. Hopefully, they yeah. do. Well, this has been another episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. Hopefully, soon we'll have the first episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. Picture Show. <laughs> Boom. That's. And in two weeks, we will do Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, right. Oh, wait. No, we saw. We finally did that one. Uh, in two weeks, we will have Butch Patrick here. Yes! Start the petition. Start it. If someone doesn't start it, I'm going to have to start it under a fake Facebook account, so we actually look like we have <laughs> listeners. So far, only one person has commented anything, and it's been my buddy Brian and Hollandike, who Yay. jumps in with, you know, factual stuff about, oh, that's a Chinese DVD, but it'll play in your player. I I really appreciate yeah. that. I felt thanks, better. thanks, Bry. He, he gets the shameless picture show gold sticker of participation. That's that's harder to say than picture shameless picture show podcast <laughs> picture show, which should not be as easy to say as it is. <laughs> well, you just throw in picture show every four. Shameless quarters. picture show podcast you picture show picture show podcast picture show. Wait, what are we listening to? Remix. What? Um. Yeah, I think that's it, guys. Yeah. All right. All right. See you later, Nick. See you later, Mike.